my wife and I had a trying night last night. For some reason, it was hot in the bedroom. We could not get cool for anything. Air conditioner on 66, and we still just, that room, there's something about our room. Halfway through the night, because I had to go to bed with my spinal cord stimulator on. And halfway through the night, I turned over and it started zapping me like a bunch of little hornets. And it's supposed to sense when you turn over. Sometimes it's a little slow. So, you know, it must have been, I don't know, 2.30 this morning that that happened. And so I know she's sleeping because I can hear her sleeping. <laughs> and so I said to myself, okay, be a man, be a man, be a man. Don't scream, don't moan. Just, just get up. You know how it is when you're getting older, it's hard to get up out of that bed. Just to sit on the side and I'm saying, oh, don't scream, don't scream. And so what did I do? I started breathing like a woman in labor. And I'm... <laughs> I've passed kidney stones before. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, you have nothing to say now, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 21. <clears throat> this is probably... I don't think it is the, the, the first favorite passage of Scripture, but it's definitely the second uh, most favorite passage of Scripture uh, for me. Because akin to the book of Ephesians, this chapter is just packed full of doctrine. And it's all about Paul's shipwreck on his fourth missionary journey, his last one. And so I really thought since we have been talking about semantics, it's funny, my wife and I were watching TV last night uh, and every time we turned around there was a new semantic because I'd ask her, what does that mean? Well, that now means this. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So we're starting to see the semantics all around us. And I, I thought that this would be good uh, to preach on this uh, this morning. So let's uh, go to the uh, Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, took all week for me to be able to hear you as I struggled to bring this message today. And I'm sure that the evil one had something to do with that. But praise be to God that giveth us the victory in Christ Jesus. And so you prevailed, and I thank you for that. Now I ask that our uh, spiritual hearts and ears would be open, that we might hear what you have for us today. Give me the ability to preach, thus saith the Lord, and thus saith the Lord alone, because for you and by you and to you is all things. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Starting with verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion 
of Augustus's band, that's Caesar Augustus in, in Rome. And entering into a ship of uh, Adramitium, we launched meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristocrus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica being with us. And the next day we touched in Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary, or in other words, they were fighting against the ship. And when we had sailed over the sea to Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in the city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Sindus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone, and hardly passing it came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lassia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship, more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to, be, uh, to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice uh, and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete and lieth towards the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, Loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a temptuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught, it could not bear up under the wind. We let her drive. And running under a certain island which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, straight sail, and so were driven. Now, do you understand what it means when, when he says that they used helps on the ship? What they used to do is they had ropes or bands that they would wrap and pass under the ship over to the other side to band it to keep it from breaking apart. Okay, That's what helps were. <clears throat> and we be, being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day we lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. 
Now that's where we're going to stop this morning because this is going to be a two-part uh, message. We'll pick up on the rest of it in the actual shipwreck next week. But what I want to focus on this morning is instability. Instability. It's a word that can be applied to many different things. The meaning of the word is the same, really, no matter where you might be in the world. It simply means not stable. That's what it means. Not stable. Instability. Well, definition says not stable. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> it brings along with it a certainty, though, that if it is not made stable, it will come to final ruin, see? So if something's unstable, if you don't take care of it, it's going to fall apart. And if a ship is unstable, it will begin to list, okay? Which means that it will lean in the water in one direction or the other without any help from an applied force, all right? So the ship could be sitting in the harbor and then it starts to list like this without any help. Something's wrong with it. It's unstable, see? The captain of the Edmunds Fitzgerald that sank in Lake Superior in the early 70s reported that the ship was listing just before she went down. Something had happened to her that caused her to become unstable in the storm, and she never made it to shore. She sank only 15 miles from shore, taking all 29 men with her. Today, there is still no explanation, I'm sorry, as to why she went down. But one thing is for sure, they said she had become unstable. There's nothing more violent, in my opinion, than a ship that's caught in a storm with waves as high as 35 feet, which was reported on Lake Superior that day when the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. And yet, it was no match. That was no match for the storm that came from nowhere in the Mediterranean Sea that year in about 60 AD. This storm lasted in its intensity at least two weeks. Can you imagine a two-week tornado or a two-week typhoon? No way. The winds were so contrary to the direction that they wanted to go, it took them many days to only accomplish 150 miles, finally arriving in Kindos. Paul says in Acts 27.7, and when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Kindos, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone. And so they couldn't even get the ship to go the direction they wanted it to go. So they had to let it go the other direction. We sailed slowly for many days, he says. The winds were so strong out of the northwest that they were pushed south to the Greek island of Crete. See, they would have gone straight over to Italy, which was about probably 800 miles sailing straight across the Mediterranean Sea. But as they tried, they got pushed like this, and they had to go south to Crete. They were not in control. 
So the way that the wind was blowing, they made sure that, well, we'll just let her go that way. And so that's what they did. It pushed her south to the Greek island of Crete and southern Crete to the port of Fair Havens. It is probable that the, uh, that the time of the year, which this refers to is between September 24th and October 1st. And when Paul, uh, or when uh, Luke the physician is uh, making the record here of the shipwreck, when he says that the fast was already passed, that was a fast that was a Jewish fast that took place that time of year. That's how the Jewish people knew that you, you don't sail after the fast because it isn't safe to do that. Uh, the Atesian winds is what they're called, which are winds that reoccur annually, uh, used of summer winds that blow over the Mediterranean. So they had a specific name which are always of the nature of gales. And these would naturally be most violent. Gales are sustained surface winds between 39 and 54 miles an hour. Now, you know that if you're driving in a vehicle down a freeway in the open country where it's flat and you get hit with a 54 mile an hour wind, you may lose control of your vehicle. And that's how, um, how hard the gales were blowing. Paul knew the season. And because safe sailing times to the Romans were different than that of the Jews, the captain did not listen to Paul but sailed anyway. The warnings of Paul were ignored because the centurion trusted in the captain's opinion over that of Paul's. Church, God's warnings to us are sure. Okay? His promises are sure. And if we cannot see clearly in our walk to glory, then our faith must guide us. Amen? We must not trust in man, but in God. Men may have several different opinions about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, but the Bible is God's truth about who he is. Amen? And we need no other guide to tell us that. If you're looking for a different opinion, then you will eventually be shipwrecked. In this case, the centurion trusted in a mere man, and he was going to have to pay the consequences, wasn't he? The winds calmed for a bit, and they were like, oh, phew, you know, we got through it. And thinking the sea was going to cooperate, they hugged the coast of Crete, and sailed safely until suddenly a typhoon literally hit the ship. Now, if you don't know, cyclones are typically between 62 and 1,243 miles in diameter. They're huge. When I was stationed in Korea, we used to get hit with typhoons during typhoon season. The maximum, maximum sustained winds can be up to 157 miles per hour. To give you an idea, uh, living here in the upper Midwest, it would be the equivalent of an F2 tornado, which are very significant tornadoes with wind speeds 113 miles per hour up to 157 miles per hour. 
They overturn boxcars from trains, demolish mobile homes. Every tornado demolishes mobile homes, don't they? That's what the, they go for first off. <laughs> but they demolish mobile homes and they snap large trees right in half. Can't imagine being in a first century ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea being hit by 157 mile per hour sustained winds with only one main sail, one, and a forward sail in the front. I would have to say that they were in trouble, wouldn't you? This was no small ship either. There were 274 souls on board. Some of the ships back during that time could hold up to 600 souls plus cargo. So sometimes we see these pictures of these little boats going across the ocean from that time. They were big ships. They were just like they were in the 17th and 18th, 16th, 15th uh, century. But not only that, it was full of a shipment of wheat. Things had become unstable. I believe that Paul uses his experience of the shipwreck in writing his first letter to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 1.19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. He uses the analogy of a shipwreck when referring to those in the church who had put away two things, faith and a good conscience. Faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? And hearing by what? The Word of God. And that's not only saving faith, but it's faith that you must exercise daily to withstand the storms of this life. Amen? Your good conscience comes when you are obeying the Word of God and walking in it daily, not only on Sunday mornings. It's awful hard to put a ship back together after it's been torn apart, isn't it? Your walk will be tested, I promise you. It is necessary that your walk is tested so that you will become strong in the Lord. But during those times, do not let fear overtake you. Amen. James says in James chapter 1, starting with verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy, when ye fall into diverse temptations, that word temptation means testing and adversity. It doesn't mean temptation unto sin. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience means cheerful or hopeful endurance. Okay? And consistency in your walk. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You won't have to run after strange doctrines because you're getting bored, okay? Because he will make you perfect and entire where you won't want anything else, amen? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. Now this is when you're in those storms. When you're in those storms in life, if you don't understand, ask God. Ask him. He's waiting to tell you. And then listen, okay? But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, 
For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable, unstable in all of his ways. You ever met a goofy Christian? I'll say no more. <laughs> Too many people in the church are unable to endure and pass this testing because they think it's too hard. It's too hard. The truth is they are not exercising faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ to see them through the trial. So, they begin to look to man for answers to their problems, don't they? Oh, let me call Susie. Uh, maybe she knows what to do. Let me call Johnny. Maybe, uh, maybe he can work this out for me. Well, he has 15 kids. Let's see how they did it. God doesn't have the answer, they say. Sometimes we don't think he has the answer. Sometimes it gets really stressful with kids, doesn't it? So they begin to look to man for answers to their problems. They begin to think, well, maybe what so-and-so is saying is true. Maybe their interpretation of the Bible is easier to follow. The scriptures are of no private interpretation. Remember that, the Bible says. I need something new. need something new in my life. Something to make me feel better. Some exciting, because I'm not enjoying the Lord's way of doing things. And off they go into the raging sea, destined for the shipwreck of what faith they've got left. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the seed sower. He said in Matthew 13, 20 and 21, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and immediately with joy he receives it. Yet he has no root in himself. But he endures for a while when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. By and by he's offended. This guy Jesus is speaking of here, he heard the gospel and he received it immediately with great joy. But because he had no root through the study of the word of God, he walked like a Christian for a little while, a little while. But as soon as he fell into trouble because of the word of God, scandal broke out in hell. He was tempted by his own lust and enticed by the devil to sin. And he could not stand against the temptation, and he fell into apostasy, that final state. His faith was shipwrecked. It was shipwrecked. He did not stay in the ship of salvation. He didn't stay, but he jumped overboard, couldn't take it anymore, and he was overtaken by the waves. Acts 27, 15 in our text this morning. And when the ship was caught, it could not bear up to the wind. So we let her drive. In other words, they let loose of the ropes and just let her go. 
Let her go with the waves so she isn't overtaken. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. In other words, took a lot of work to keep that ship from breaking apart. Which when they had taken up, they used helps, strapped it, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. Quicksands that they're talking about there is in northern Africa. They were heading that way. They were heading towards Egypt uh, and Libya. And when you hit that area, the way that the waves churn the sand in that area creates quicksand, so to speak. And being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they finally lighten the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. They threw out everything. Why? To make the boat lighter so that it would not hit the rocks and the sandbars underneath. But then they had to throw the tackling out too. Wow, they got down to the tackling and had to get rid of it. How can you sail without tackling? And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, oh my goodness, what a black storm. They didn't know if it was day or night any longer. And no small tempest lay on us. In other words, it was huge. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Satan will come at you with all he has to overthrow your faith, folks. And in the storm, it may even appear that all hope for your salvation has been lost. I remember in my early days, I didn't even know if I was saved anymore sometimes. But that still small voice of the Spirit of God told me, you are, and there was a steadfastness inside there to just keep going, no matter how I felt, because it wasn't up to me. But it takes time to learn that, doesn't it? It takes time. It seems to me here that the ship's captain is the one that got them into this horrible mess in the first place, isn't he? But, you know, I have to kind of admire this captain because, I mean, he went a long ways in this storm and was able to hold this ship together and keep them on some kind of course to where they needed to go. So he was good at his job, and there was no reason then for the centurion not to trust him. But I've got to ask, who is the captain? of your ship this morning? Is it Christ Jesus? Or is it man and his doctrine? Everybody hold up your Bible. Everyone's got one. Amen. What you have in your hand today for most of us, most of us, and if you don't, I am not speaking out against what you have, but I am saying that when it, when it comes to the King James Bible, we have a translation that has stood the test of time and continues to be printed, okay? The King James Bible. 
Amen. Now, I'm not part of the King James only movement, just so you know that. You know, I've got uh, parallel Bibles and everything else that I use. I was showing Jim some of my wares this weekend. But you need to hold on to that King James Bible. Those of you who don't use them, if you've got one, hang on to it because I'm going to tell you the time's going to come when they will no longer print that Bible because they will say it's too archaic, it's too old. They will say that it is not the true word of God, and they're already doing it, folks. Semantics is doing that, is destroying it. They will say that no one purchases it any longer, and we cannot make any more money printing it. It's all about this. I don't profess to be a prophet, but watch and see what happens as time unfolds, especially the younger ones. The day is coming where we will be arrested for possessing it. Acts 27, 21 in closing. But after a long abstinence, in other words, Paul was quiet for days. He finally stood forth in the middle of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. We had lost everything. We had thrown it overboard. The only thing that was left was the people on board. If we do not We would do our spirit, our soul, and our body so much good if we would just listen to the Lord in the beginning, in the beginning, before the storm, see, before the storm. If we don't, we will suffer the consequences of harm to our walk and loss of precious time and faith. You know, why go through the swamp if you don't have to? It's a time waster. And remember the Bible says that we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. Let us listen by hearing through the word of God for any other way is no way at all but a seaway to a terrible storm that may just overtake us, God forbid. God forbid. Next week it gets more exciting. You get to go into the shipwreck. My favorite part. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it excites me when I uh, have the opportunity to preach this portion of Scripture. And what really excites me is the words that you give me and the comparisons that you give me and the scriptures you give me that teaches me that I might teach others. Help me to always be a teacher in the word. Help me to not look to myself or uh, anything to my own glory, but all to your glory and yours alone. I'm only a servant and I'm here to serve you until the day where you call me home. 
bless each and every one that's here that's a member of this uh, fine, fine group, so full of love and care for each other. It's a wonderful thing to be in the house of the Lord. Now, as we go about our week, we ask in Jesus' name for your protection and for your guidance. And if you choose that it's time for us to go through a storm this week, help us, oh, help us to remember this message today. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, I was just going to say, well, if Sister Dot would come, we'll sing one final song when she's already here. She's ready to go.